Mark Twain once said, it's not the verses of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the verses that I do understand. Nowhere is it more true than in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. When Jesus properly interprets three Old Old Testament passages that say the very same thing, that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, equal retribution. Now we see that, and, uh, and by the way, the Old Testament is not the only place that teaches this law of justice. Uh, the Code of Habarabi uh, also taught an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Uh, Gandhi, the, the pacifist on steroids, uh, once said that uh, an eye for an eye will make the whole world blind. But is this verse, does this verse teach pacifism? Does this verse teach that we are to roll over and take it? Does this verse teach that I have the right to go get an eye if you take my eye? Tooth for a tooth. Well, let's take a look at some of the more difficult passages because Jesus is going to say, don't resist evil. And then he's going to talk about the famous slap back. That if you were slapped on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. I was going to try an experiment this morning, but I've decided not to because Wednesday night I asked this question of the group. How many of you have ever been physically slapped? I expected, you want to vote right now, don't you? I see, I see out there, yeah, it happened to me in 10th grade. Let me slap. So, you know, about 80% of the people that Wednesday night raised their hand. And most of them wanted to tell the story of when they had gotten slapped. My favorite story was Diana. She said, I, I actually turned the other cheek. They slapped me and I turned the other cheek and they slapped the other cheek. And she said, I went after him then. That's, that's it. <laughs> I knew what to do then, man. I, just, I did all that was required. I went after him. But does it really, does it really mean that? Good night. We struggle with this stuff, don't we? How do you live in a world where you turn the other cheek? You'll be beat and pummeled down. Somebody compels you to walk a mile, and Jesus said, I walked two miles for him. I'd be walking the rest of my life the way people abuse you. This You've got to stand up for yourself. You've got to speak up for yourself. You've got to fight for yourself. Man, this world will drag you down in the dredges. And we just kind of leave this stuff in this. I think we'll find today this verse isn't quite saying what we think it's saying. So I want you to look at it with me. Chapter 5, verse 39. Now one of the keys to understanding this Sermon on the Mount is Jesus continually says when he begins a brand new interpretation, the accurate interpretation of the Old Testament thing that they were teaching, is that he says, you have heard that it was said. I wonder why he doesn't say it is written. Because this verse specifically is in three different locations. It's in Exodus, it's in Leviticus, and it's in Deuteronomy. In fact, the occasion in Leviticus doesn't stop with eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. It goes hand for hand, leg for leg. I mean, just a bunch of body parts it's talking about. But Jesus doesn't say it is written, although it is. 
He says, you have heard that it has been said. First clue to tell us that they were misinterpreting what is written by what they were saying about what was written. Well, let's look what it says. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, a couple things before we move on because there's a lot of confusion ahead of us. I want to clear this up. First of all, this verse, given three different places, was never given to an individual. It was given to a government. It was given to the the nation of Israel for the judges to do. You had no right to pull somebody else's eye out after they've jerked your eye out. You were to go to the judges and the legend. Number two, you want to live in a law and land of justice and law of retribution. This is right. Someone takes something from you, something ought to be taken from them. Absolutely. This also limited the damage. It was equal justice. Because if somebody takes my eye out, the first thing I want to do is go get my gun and kill them. I don't want to get even. I want to get ahead. Right? Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's just get real. You don't want to get even with somebody. You want to get ahead. Well, this causes us to stay with the even thing. So this law was never given to the individual for his right to do this. It was given to a government. It was given to the judges of Israel to exact equal retribution under the law. And you want that. You want to live in a land like that. But they were taking it to mean anything that was taken, I had the right to do anything I want when you, when you violate me. Now that's not what it was teaching at all. So you see the problem right off the bat. Notice what Jesus says then. It gets thicky, and which is thick and sticky combined together. Verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Our problem is with the word resist. It looks as though in the English language that the word resist means simply to lay down and allow someone to do anything they want to do. You know, you hear something at the front door and you walk out and there's a burglar. You don't grab your gun. You shake his hand. Say, come on, what would you like? Can I help you rent a moving van? And would you like this TV? It's, it's not working well anyway. Just, and you begin to load the front. They just lay down and let anybody do anything. Say what they want to say. Do what they want to do. I'm not to resist evil. The word resist is the word anthostemu in the Greek. It's a verb meaning to oppose something, to run against something. It means to aggressively go after for the point of winning victory. Now, this word is used in a couple other passages in the New Testament. It's used in the book of Acts, chapter 6, when it talks about... Kenneth, have you got that slide? Are you there? Thank you very much. Verse, chapter 6, verse 10. Notice... Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, this is talking about governments, resists the ordinance of God. Whoever fights against the power of government, 
fights against the ordinance of God. And they that resist, there it is, those who fight against shall receive to themselves damnation. Look at chapter 6 of Ephesians, even a better reference. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, probably something Ed will talk about tonight, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Withstand is the word resist, to fight, to battle. So when the scripture, when Jesus says, do not resist evil, he's not saying lay down and let them do anything they want. He's saying Do not go after them. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say somebody breaks into my house tonight. It's 12 o'clock. I'll never forget the night uh, we heard noises downstairs and Oscar was still alive. I said, Oscar, let's go check this out because Karen's like, ooh, somebody's downstairs. And so we we started down the stairs. I looked behind the dog's behind me. (laughs) I'm like, serious? Come on, man. Yeah, I, would, I couldn't get him in front of me. He's back as I'm, I'm cool. I'm just watching you. Let's say somebody breaks in tonight. I hear a noise. So I go into my closet, and what do I get? I get my 20-gauge shotgun. Because if somebody's in my house, I'm going to fill them full of birdshot. I don't want to kill them. I just want to get them out of my house and protect mine and my own. But let's say I confront the person, and they run out the door and run down the street. What do I do then? I run after them, I tackle them, I shoot them, and I drag them back in the house. (laughs) Oh, you guys need this sermon today, I can tell you that. (laughs) That's the word to resist. The word resist means they've left, but now I'm going to go get them and shoot them for what they did. It doesn't mean not to stand for yourself, it means... Once you've stood for yourself and the thing is over, don't get into what's called the slap back trap. Because when you go after somebody after they've offended and hurt you and it's all, you know, been settled done and you want to you get, get ahead, you become entrapped to them. You become enslaved to them. And I know some of you out there are dealing with bitterness and anger for things people have done to you in the past. And you hold that grudge and they occupy a little bit of space in your head, don't they? You know how you know it? Because that person's name and face just came up to you, didn't it? They own a little piece of you. And Jesus would have you be free from that, liberated from that. He would have you be at peace with all men. Everybody. That you hold, that when when I say something like that, nobody's face comes up in you because you're at peace with all men. Have people done you wrong? Have they hurt you? Have they offended you? Have they insulted? Absolutely. But you're free from it because you have forgiven and you are not fighting back. That's the word resist. Don't resist evil. Does it make sense now? Well, he goes on and defines In verse 39. But if anyone slaps you on the cheek, the right cheek. You know how I know this isn't a physical thing? Because if it was, he would have said, if anybody plucks your eye out, give him your other eye. We're not talking about physical stuff. Although a slap in the Eastern culture of this day was the highest amount of insult. Pithrasus, one of the Roman slaves, a writer of the first century, said that a slave would rather be thrashed to death 
than be thumped on the cheek. In this culture, that was the highest insult to take your hand and slap somebody. You know what was a higher insult? To be slapped with the back of the hand. Now watch this. I won't ask for any, yeah, I'll ask for an illustration. John, come on up here, man. Yeah, I know, you got to come up here. If you're going to slap anybody, it ought to be your son. Come on right up here, let me, all right. Whatever happens in the next few minutes, you're going to forgive me, aren't you? Yeah, what a, what a good looking. I'm afraid to touch that bristly beard. That's what I'm afraid of. That's that's offensive. No, it's not offensive to me. Yeah. So let's say I'm doing slow motion. I'm not going to pop him. Let's say I were to slap him in the face. And he goes this way, right? Jesus said, turn the other cheek. You see how that works? The back of the hand is the greater fence. Thanks, John. You slap and you open yourself up. This has to do with personal insults. When Jesus was slapped, he did not slap back. When Jesus' beard was plucked and pulled and jacked out, he didn't resist. His own honor, he did not defend. He was so free in that moment that he was not resentful for those who abused him. The only time he spoke was two different occasions, two different ways, was to defend the honor of his father and to make clear who he was. What was Jesus called? He was called a glutton, one who overate in order to throw up to eat again. He was called a wine-bibber, one who continually drank the wine and stayed drunk all the time. He was accused, which he was actually guilty of, of hanging out with wild folks, going to their parties. Think of all the things. His family thought he was nuts. Did you know that? They came to get him one time because they said he was beside himself. It means insane. Jesus was abused all of his ministry, all of his life, misunderstood, insulted. One time in Nazareth, they were going back and forth. And this is what they said to him. Aren't you the son of immorality? You know what they were talking about? They were talking about 33 years, 32 years earlier when his mother gave birth to a son without any contact, supposedly with a man. They didn't buy that. It was, he was the son of immorality. They went after his mother. And yet never a word. Notice what else. And if anyone would sue you, and take your tunic. What's a tunic? It's an, inner, it's an inner cloth. It's an inner robe. It's what they wore next to their bodies. Cotton, usually. They wore this tunic, and even the poorest Jew had two of them. Had a change of clothing. Because it's next to your body. You're going to sweat. It's going to need to be clean. Even the poorest Jew. So most Jews had several of these. If someone takes the tunic, notice what he says. Let him have your cloak as well. You know how many cloaks every Jew had? He only had one. The cloak was the outer garment, the heavy garment, which he wore on the outside. 
It not only protected him from the sun, it was his bedclothes. On those cold nights, it's what he wrapped himself in. He only had one. Even Jewish law says that if someone takes a cloak, it had to be returned before the sun went down, so that man wasn't cold that night. Jesus said, someone takes something you've got lots of. Give them, go and give them what you only have one of. Look at the extreme case of love and the power of that life that can sacrifice to that point. This can only be accomplished by the life of Jesus Christ lived in and through us. Don't ignore the first part of the sermon when he's, the Beatitudes when he said, you are meek, you are merciful, you are the peacemakers because Jesus is living in us. This power of a magnificent life is possible to live. It is possible to turn the other cheek. It is possible. And when you do that, people look at you in one of two ways. Either you're nuts, you're either crazy, or you've discovered something that they don't know anything about. I share this illustration hesitantly, but I will anyway. I don't always react this well, but I did in this case. Thanks be to God. The man who did the floors had to come back because there were about 50 holes, that little tiny holes, and he did a very good job. But he had to come back, and he was not in a good mood that day. And he walked in, and he instantly accused me of taking a drill and drilling all those holes so he'd have to come back. My first thought is, are you on medication? Are you a bipolar? Is there something? There's something are you insane that I would take a drill and drill all those holes? And I'll be honest, you know, just you feel the redness in your face. Like, what did you just, what did you just say to me? So I chose at that point, because Karen lectures me on a pretty regular basis, Mike, you're a pastor, be careful what you say. (laughs) People are listening. So I'm up here and I'm thinking, I'm not answering that. You know, I'm not even going to dignify that. Was, Was I having any victory in the Lord? No, I was just fighting that feeling I'd like to kick him out of the building is what I was doing. So he walked back up right there, walked back toward me, he said, well, are you going to tell me the truth or not? There was, you know, there was a few things said, not, not I, I, I think I said, who knows, the whole thing was a blur at this point. I said, what did I say? I said that that is ridiculous, that I would take it, and he just blew past me. Now, he claims to be a follower of Christ, and I don't doubt that and all, but on the way out, he said, I better shut my mouth or I'm going to lose Jesus. Now, i be honest with you. My first thought was, maybe you never had him talking like that, but people do. I mean, we all can be stupid and say stupid things. So nothing else was said. The man filled the holes, and he buffed the floor, and he did a very good job at that point. I, I did determine at that point, if he said one more thing, we were going to have a little exit out of the building, not to fight in the parking lot. I was, no, but just, to, you know, I was going to have somebody else do the job and just charge him the money. Because I wasn't going to, again, I, I wasn't going to take that constantly toward me. So anyway, nothing was said. And you know, at the end, he walked over and shook my hand. And he said, Pastor, thanks a lot for the job. Appreciate it. I shook his hand, looked at him, still thinking, what's wrong with this guy? So this is where the, 
And by the way, all those human emotions are normal. Don't, don't beat yourself down. We all, you know, we just, that's the way it is. But this is where you turn the other cheek. He was getting his equipment out, and he was struggling to get out the door. And I was standing near the area, and I walked over and opened the door and helped him out of the door with the machine. That communicates turning the other cheek. That communicates that I'm not better to be free from that kind of anger, to be free from that kind of, in that moment, is a wonderful victory that Christ gives us. Now, that, you know, for the days and weeks, when I thought back of it, I'd get a little hot. I'd say, what's wrong with that guy? But it didn't keep me in, in bondage. Look at the last uh, phrase that he uses in Matthew chapter 5. Notice he says, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. King James, go with him twain. Now, what is this? This is a custom of the day by occupying countries. Rome occupied Palestine. At any time, any Roman citizen or soldier could force any Jewish person into service. And they did it by the tap, the flat part of their sword. You got a tap on the shoulder from a Roman soldier. You were to do anything that he told you. They hated it. You can imagine. Uh, One of the examples in the New Testament is Simon of Cyrene, who bore the cross of Jesus Christ. Simon got a tap on the shoulder that day and was forced to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. The Jews hated it. I mean, how would you like it? You know, if of, of comp- you know, it just you hated it. Jesus said, rather than bitterly going the one mile, joyfully go two. So triumph over that restriction that it no longer is a restriction to you at all. You see. Even justice, even retribution, you walk a mile. I'm not walking a mile. We fight for our rights. We fight for ourselves. We fight when everyone says anything about us. We fight when we're forced to do this and forced to do that. Well, Simon of Cyrene was forced that day, and look what he did. He carried the cross of his Savior. You don't know in the providence of God when you're forced by someone else in some other situation when it doesn't turn to be in most incredible. You think that was the greatest day of Simon Cyrene's life? He looks back and he, I mean, you get up there and there's Simon in heaven and say, man, I carried that cross for Christ for a short time. That was an honor for me. It turned into an honor for him. Notice in verse 42, more bad news. Give to the one who begs from you. I ask you the question that Oswald Chambers asked me. Why do we always make this about money? It is as if gold runs through our veins, does it not? This isn't about money at all. I know that because the people that he was talking to had none. They were all paupers. First century people lived hand to mouth. That's how they lived. You know, you know, just they had nothing. 
Money's the easiest thing to give. You know that. We give people money and they get out of our face and we don't feel guilty anymore. What are people begging for? All around us. Well, first of all, they're begging for the gospel. I know it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. But everybody out there needs Christ. You know that. They need love. They need friendship. They need fellow. They need somebody to care about them. We live in a world of beggars. We're beggars ourselves. Give to those who beg. Look for opportunities to love, to serve, to have friendships. Steve asked a co-worker on the way out, the, the chicken fryer at Publix, he asked him on the way out, do you have any spiritual beliefs? He almost wished he hadn't asked at the end of the conference. I mean, the guy unloaded all this stuff. You know, he's married to a woman from the church and she ran off with some fella and he just hates it all. And Steve, he's begging for Jesus Christ. He's begging to understand what happened. Give. Give of your life. Give of your time. Give of an ear that will slow down long enough to listen to the struggles that people have all around you. Give your money, sure. But only give your money when you know where it's going. I'm, I'm of a firm belief that the guy on the corner with a sign needs to probably go get a job. It may sound harsh a little bit, but there's a lot of jobs in this economy. Now, there are people who desperately need help, and I understand that. But unless I know the situation, I'm going to give that $5, and he's going to go buy a beer, and and I'm I'm not going to buy a man's alcohol. I don't know where that money's going, so I just don't give. Unless I know. That's just personal to me. That's how I look at it. I don't think that's what this verse is talking about at all, though. Notice, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Ed, you and I wouldn't have any tools if we just gave it all out, would we? I don't think this is talking about your tools. I think this is talking about free, being free-hearted. I think this is talking about a release of the merchandise that isn't all in all to you, but you need to be careful who you loan your stuff out. You won't have anything. That's just common sense. People want to borrow your time. They want to borrow your love. They want to borrow you. And that's what Jesus is talking about.